All right, let's start with, with prayer, and then we'll get chatting about some cool stuff today. Um, this side of heaven, about heaven. So let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for this day that you've made. We thank you that you're with us, and we have the hope of the resurrection. And we pray for those who are terribly disappointed about uh, being here on earth today. We pray that their hope might be in Christ, not in a teacher or in a, a formula to read the Bible, but in a personal living uh, faith in Christ uh, while we draw breath, that we would live for you uh, with the hope of all things made new being our hope, and that we would live in this place uh, with your grace and your gospel, uh, firing us up and to love each other and speak the truth to one another. Thanks for this uh, word and for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I thought I'd just get it out of the way right at the beginning, uh, just because it relates to our topic this morning about, about heaven, is what's all this about the rapture? Uh, is it biblical? Is it... Uh, yeah, people are kind of mocking it, but at one level, but also we also need to consider it on one level. And uh, it was kind of funny on Twitter, someone said, it's really weird when you hear Christ non-Christians refuting Harold Camping using the scriptures. Um, <laughs> so it's like we're in a really wacky world. Uh, kind of cool. but uh, And then the one verse is, uh, no one knows the date or the time, right? So... Uh, our energy should be poured into obviously something else and I think what we're talking about this morning is the something else about how do we live <clears throat> heavenly minded and also what is the hope of the Christian so uh, <clears throat> one that, I mean I don't want to give too much away but uh, one of my jobs I was in someone's home who works for camping and they just gotten their t-shirts that said have you heard the glorious news with yesterday's date on it, and uh, their little kids were really excited about it, telling their neighborhood friends, "Oh, look at these awesome T-shirts! And we got free hats with the date on it, and all this kind of stuff." <clears throat> but the real question is, what is the glorious news, and what is the glorious hope of the Christian? And for a lot of Christians, that glorious hope is heaven, and that's true to a point and we're going to talk about that what's the real goal of our life what's the goal of heaven what's the purpose of heaven what's the big deal about heaven we're going to talk about that next week more the imagery of revelation and why do we want to be there and what's heaven going to be about this morning we're going to be kind of setting the groundwork for it using some scriptures and looking at a little bit of the old testament concept of uh of the future and what happens to our bodies and and where we live kind of thing. So let me just do a quick blurb on the rapture. <clears throat> this word rapture actually comes from this verse. Uh, I'll have uh, somebody read it. Tuck, can you read that verse for us? It's that first verse. Yeah. Cool. Good job. Well, let's pick apart 
uh, this verse. <clears throat> we want to ask the who question, the what, the where question. <clears throat> so there's two groups of people in this verse. Who are the two groups of people? <clears throat> There's alive people, and then there's this them. Who are the who are the them's in this passage? The ones that are left. Yeah. Yeah, we should look at context. Boom! I just broke the basic rule of Bible study. Didn't look at the context. So let's crack our Bibles if we got them. Thessalonians 4. <laughs> okay, and at very end of very last sentence of verse 16 tells us who the them is. Someone want to read that? Alive people in Christ, and we've got them dead in Christ. But there's a very important word in here. The more important word than caught up is in verse 16, and what's that important word? And the dead in Christ will rise. What, is, what does that rise word kind of point to? Another big word that we uh, think about. <coughs> Starts with R. Resurrection. <coughs> and I'm going to submit to you that the Bible stresses... <coughs> well, let's put rapture up here too. The R word that scripture is really concerned about, is it this word or this word? Yeah, you got like one verse that kind of talks about that. You got the whole Bible that talks about the great hope of the Christian is, isn't beam me up Jesus, get me out of here. It's make everything new. Don't just give me a new bod, don't just give me a new home with streets of gold. Give me a new everything. That's really the hope of the Christian. So, I'm already giving away my punchline, but I just thought it'd be fair to kind of think about is, what is the goal of the Christian? Is it just to be, get out of this earth suit? Um, But that says something about our view of what? If we're trying to just get out of this body, get out of this place, what are we kind of not comfortable with? Creation. Creation. Like, desks and cars and jobs and bodies are kind of like second they're like weights weighing us down because our soul wants to get somewhere else right this whole concept of I want to be somewhere else I want to do something else if you're hanging out with your honey and and you're saying man I'd really love to be somewhere else uh, what's that going to say about the uh, relationship? You're not really into it, right? 
So one of the things that we want to think about is how does God, how does God want us to be both into this world, and then how does He want us also to be into the future that He's making, the future where everything is new. And we obviously we're going to look at Paul's some of Paul's language. We feel torn, right? This place is awesome. It's got like Hawaii, and it's got babies and marriage, and it's got awesome food uh, and experiences, but. Heaven also promises so much more. We want to think about that. What is that so much more uh, than what we're experiencing uh, right now? Any questions about that? I've got some other charts I can draw, but I won't do that to you unless you ask for it. Does that kind of make sense? (laughs) So the alive in Christ and the dead in Christ. So they rise first, and then we will meet them. It says, in the air, so it sounds like up, but look at the very last phrase of this First Thessalonians 4.17. And what is our real goal? Is to always be with the Lord. John Piper asked this question, and I think it really kind of cuts through all the, the weirdness of talk about heaven, and it gets right to the core of heaven. He says, if Jesus wasn't in heaven... Would you still want to go? If Jesus wasn't in heaven, would you still want to go there? And so when we start to talk about heaven, we start to talk about its awesomeness, we have to think about, do I want just the cool stuff of heaven? Or do I want the cool who of heaven? The, the real center point of heaven. We're going to look more at that next week. But it starts to ask our questions is, what? why are we hating this place so much? Why are we loving that place so much? If it doesn't have Christ in it, it's kind of just bizarre, weird stuff, kind of like what we saw uh, yesterday. <clears throat> but uh, but here's the good stuff. <clears throat> good news, bad news. Point one, heaven is an intermediate state. This is the traditional uh, language that theologians use to deal with this wrestling of... <clears throat> what death does to us, and then also the great hope we have in Christ. That here we have living, here we have dying, and sometime in the future, God has promised resurrection. (coughs) So this little chart I have down here is going to walk us through this, but let's let's read uh, this uh, scripture. (coughs) His voice is all clear and happy this morning. Uh, Harry, you want to read that passage for us? For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we have grown, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we grow, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by God. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the world. But we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body than at home in the world. <coughs> so Paul's really wrestling with his desires. Obviously, he says marriage is a good thing. We've kind of looked at that over the last few months with Pastor Michael. He says bodies are a good thing. 
this life that we live in the body is filled, literally he says in the middle here, with the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of new life to come. <clears throat> and it's really new life right now. So he uses this analogy of a tent being naked and then also kind of a permanent home. And we want to kind of look at this in terms of what is heaven and uh, what, what happens to us. Is this a natural thing or is this something weird and unnatural happening? So while we live, we live in a tent. <clears throat> we live in a body. And so we live as a body-soul unity. <clears throat> We've talked about a lot about this before. Is This is how God made Adam and Eve. He, he made Adam and he breathed into his life a living soul. He was a living soul. He was a body and a soul. He was a unity. <clears throat> Adam wasn't trying to escape his body. God had just given it to him. It was something awesome. It was God's plan A for him to walk on the earth in fellowship with God, enjoying things, working with his hands, eating fruit, being married, having sex, making babies. All that was good. It was God's God's plan A. <clears throat> so he says, while we live, we live in this tent of the body. But we also live, in one sense, away from... the Lord. Well, we can't escape God's presence. Psalm 139 says, man, if I went to the depths, you'd meet me there. You'd already be there. If I went to the heights, you'd already beat me there. Where can I escape from your presence? But here he's saying God is exalted. God is on his throne and we're here on earth. So we feel this separation. Romans 8 says we feel this groaning, like we really feel like weighted down because creation is broken. We really feel like in one sense, we're trapped. <clears throat> but here he, he kind of points us to a... Uh, yeah, question? Oh, I don't know. I was just thinking it, it seems to mirror the progression of the church. Or the tent. There was a tent of meeting and it was a temporary. Yeah. So there was kind of a temporary mobile experience of knowing God. And then they had sort of a fixed... There was a temple and you knew where God was. You could meet him. And someone said, yeah, that's a good analogy of we're kind of living in this portable <clears throat> walk with God. We love to be in a really secure, really permanent walk with God that wasn't sketchy because of sin and brokenness and all that. We, we're really looking for some permanence. <clears throat> but that's why, <clears throat> I guess we'll throw a rapture up here just for argument. <clears throat> that's why this is called the intermediate state is because we were never meant to be... What word does he use in here for describing being dead out of your body, your soul being separated from your body? What does he call it? <clears throat> What's that? Home of the Lord. Okay, there's home of the Lord, but he says we don't want to be... Naked. Naked. <clears throat> And this is why souls strumming harps on clouds sort of feels like a joke. Because in one sense, Paul is saying, this is the weirdest thing in the world. To be out of your body, to just be a soul, it's like being what? 
walking around naked, right? <clears throat> it ain't right. You know, in one sense, he's saying we were never meant to be separated from our bodies. We were never meant to not fully clothed being with God. So really, this is kind of a halfway hope for us because it's a state of being naked, right? But it's awesome because we are, like Jeff said, with the Lord. So these are the three little categories I have down here. When we're clothed with a tent and we're alive in our bodies, we're filled with His Spirit. So do we have God's presence? Yeah. But Paul is saying there's something even better than having His presence in us is actually being directly in His presence. So so this is like awesome, positive, with the Lord. Negative, kind of creepy. To be naked without your body is this unnatural, literally intermediate state. Yeah. Also, again, you can look at Adam and Eve. They were naked physically, yeah. and they were with the Lord. Yeah. <coughs> Which was good. It says he looked at it and it was good. But in one sense, his goal for us is... And we would add this extra word. Resurrection and glorification is our great goal. It isn't just get me out of this body, get me to streets of gold and harps. Is <clears throat> we actually pray it in the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, get heaven down here. So in one sense, by the Holy Spirit, God gets heaven down here. When we die, we get up there in heaven with Him. But the great goal of everything that we're going to look at that next week is to get heaven down here for there to be a marriage. This word guarantee is used several times in the the New Testament to talk kind of like an engagement ring. When you get an engagement ring, is it the same thing as the day you say I do and go on your honeymoon? That's not the same thing, but is it included sort of in the whole deal? The understanding is there's this other ring to come and there's some other awesome stuff to come. There's a beautiful day to come. Even though the girl is like levitating her left hand around all the time and it's a magical time and she's a, and everybody's excited. There's a better day than that, even. So there's a sense of how do we receive the awesomeness of knowing God in this body? How do we receive the awesomeness of when we die going to be with the Lord? But how do we anticipate the great awesomeness uh, that Revelation calls the great marriage feast of the land. There's a marriage of heaven and earth. So we really want to wrestle with this doctrine of creation. Creation is good. Being in the presence of the Lord is awesome. But there's an even more awesome awesome when everything is, is remade. So does that kind of make sense? That this is kind of good, but it's like one and a half thumbs up. God wants the two and a half, you know, eternal awesome uh, thumbs up. But any questions about that? <clears throat> Does this sound different than what you've kind of heard before? Or? Yeah, it might be. <clears throat> You're saying that the intermediate state is when we die, but before Jesus comes back? So yeah, yeah. We don't know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The <clears throat> and if you say you do, we ain't listening to you, buddy, so it's like, don't do any billboards for that. <clears throat> What's really interesting is that our culture presents the intermediate state as the great hope of, of 
yeah. Christians. But it's not actually. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like a caricature of our culture. Yeah. Like when you go to the state fair and they do your drawing? You're not really flattered, are you? <clears throat> You've really captured me. It's like my head's this big and my nose is that big and my ears are super huge. It's like, yeah, this caricature of heaven. One of the great things we can do for each other is let's look at the biblical awesomeness, just not at the hope we've constructed or the caricatures. Kind of like what Michael's done with hell. And uh, I guess Rob Bell and Harold Camping have done us a favor to say let's really come back and look at what is the real picture of heaven. It's actually better than any of the caricatures. Um, so yeah, we get to trade the God of our imagining with the God who really is and has told us what he's like uh, in scripture. <clears throat> so do you guys personally feel this being torn like Paul does? Being thankful and, and really digging into life, but also feeling this sense of, you know, how many of you were secretly wishing it was yesterday? Yeah, and that's a good thing. It says, you know, we want to be with the Lord. We want to be done with the battle. When we're with Him, we're not fighting anymore. And there are so many days I'm like, man, I'm just tired of the fight because uh, I'm tired, you know. Um, that's natural because this isn't the permanent state of things. <clears throat> and the goal isn't to be rid of a body. It's to be rid of, of all the brokenness that we experience in this Paul calls it in Romans 7 this body of death you know it's not that being in a body sucks it's being in a body that's alienated and broken sucks and God wants to relieve us and rescue us uh, from that so this isn't our earth suit this is our broken relating to God in a body uh, suit and we want that to be remade not just shucked off like corn husks you know You shucked some corn lately? <coughs> yeah, Harry? So, so in the intermediate state, like, since we're still, since we're immediately uh, uh, with Christ, but um, we're still longing for our resurrected bodies, what, how does that look when we're with Christ? Like, it's just our souls, right? So we don't have a body. How, uh, yeah. yeah, Revelation uh, 7 and 9 talks about it. It says the souls under the altar were crying out to God, how long, how long? So it's very interesting that it picks out this word soul. Um, Because obviously their bodies are not there, but they're in a sense of longing. It's like, well, shouldn't they be breathing this great sigh of relief because they're in God's presence? It's not, actually there's some, we wouldn't call it agony, but there's eagerness to to complete, because they know they're only halfway there in a sense of they're with God, but not everything. It it says in 1 Corinthians, not everything is under his feet, you know. Technically, it is because he's the king of everything. He's the king of new creation. But it says he's putting every under every enemy under his feet, and the last enemy is death. When there's no more death, when is that? Well, that's the great resurrection of the righteous to everlasting life, and uh, the alienated from God to everlasting punishment that we've been talking about. So that's the great the great day is not your death certificate day or the. Uh, so one sense, camping had it right. Rapture and resurrection are supposed to go together, and judgment, except he got the date wrong. So, Because uh, <clears throat> actually camping comes out of a Reformed background, and so he his view of rapture has more of the sense of that's it, that's the end of, of everything is when Jesus appears. The, wrong, the wrongness of it is that he thought there was a Bible code 
uh, to graph. Does that kind of kind of make sense? <coughs> okay, let's look a little bit. Uh, I put um, Michael and I are ordained as Presbyterians, so our uh, summary scripture summary that kind of helps us teach the Bible is the uh, Westminster Confession, and I and I put some of this in here just so that we. Uh, can kind of think through how have Christians kind of formulated, kind of what Harry is, is asking is, we've got sketchy detail, how do we put kind of a complete picture so we kind of know what's happening, not making it up, like, I honestly haven't read these books of like 90 Minutes in Heaven and stuff like that where people have had out-of-body experiences, because everybody sees the same thing, but we all know that not everybody's going to go to the same place, so it's like, that's not necessarily really trustworthy information. Um, so trustworthy information is obviously scripture what God has revealed so I'll just read a few things and pick up the bodies of men after death return to dust and seek corruption but their souls which neither die nor sleep have an immortal subsistence immediately return to God who gave them the souls of the righteous being then made perfect in holiness are received into the highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory waiting for the full redemption of their bodies so it's really stage one of the redemption of all things is that we're with God and we're made holy in His presence, but we're waiting again to experience that in a body, what what Paul calls fully clothed or in our permanent dwelling uh, that we're looking for forward to. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell where they remain in torments and utter darkness reserved to the judgment of the great day. Beside these two places for souls separated from the bodies, the scripture acknowledges none. That's King James speak for purgatory isn't in the Bible. I don't know. I missed last week. Did you guys talk about purgatory at all? So one of the main... uh, You can hear it kind of in the root word of purgatory. What's the root word in purgatory? That looks a lot like purge. It's a place where you can do your time to work off the consequences of your sins. And then because then you're clean through this process of suffering, you're then able to be admitted into the company of the righteous. So this is like a halfway... It's kind of like a shower, kind of with a, like if you've been in a hazmat situation, you go into the shower, get all scrubbed, and then you come out, and you're like, you can be among the public now, because you're the, <coughs> whatever you're called, de-stunkified, or, or uh, debugged, or whatever. <coughs> so here, there's really no middle ground, because in one sense, the work of Christ is the only thing that's sufficient to purge us of our sins. So there's nothing that we can do or endure that will make us right right with God. So obviously because of our biblical view of justification, that it's through Christ's work and that it's complete and it's finished, there's no work for us to complete or to suffer through another and to admit us into heaven. And that's kind of where I'm on that chapter in Rob Bell's book where he talks about the purging effects of his doctrine of hell. And that's where it goes horribly wrong. Um, Chapter 1 was so-so, kind of snarky, kind of mocking. I like chapter 2 a little bit, because it talked about the earthiness of God making all things new, that that's our great hope, not getting zipped out of these bodies uh, into 
souls and harps and kind of thing. And then chapter three goes horribly wrong in uh, about hell. So I was reading that at Chuck E. Cheese. So uh, parts of Chuck E. Cheese felt like hell, but I was reading at Rob Hell, uh, not Rob Hell, Rob Bell uh, at Chuck E. Cheese while the kids were getting a bunch of tickets and stuff. <coughs> so the next, flip it over. <coughs> At the last day, reading again in Westminster Confession, such as are found alive shall not die, but be changed, and all the dead shall be raised up with their same bodies, and none other, which shall be united again to their souls uh, forever. So this is noting something about continuity, and this gets to the resurrection of Jesus. When the disciples saw Jesus, did they know who they were seeing? The first time they saw him in the garden, they were like, are you the gardener? What did you do with his body? But then later they, they saw him and they recognized him. Because what? His, his body had continuity with the body that he went into in the grave. And so this is asserting that God doesn't make you just a new body. He makes you you without all the sin. So imagine you without all of your sin. You'd still be the awesome you that you are, but without all that junk, without all the brokenness and uh, so that's kind of the hope of the resurrection isn't that oh like there's this joke doctor after the surgery will I be able to play piano he's like why sure well it's like well great because I didn't know how beforehand so it's not like this gives us something new that we never had it restores us to what we should have always been uh, our real selves and so Jesus was a real proof of that uh, after his his resurrection and then it just talks about will be conformed to his glorious body uh, when at the day of the resurrection. And then the Cliff Notes version is the shorter catechism. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. So there's no like being in a waiting room forever. Because that would be like hell, right? Uh, to be in a waiting room forever. Being still united in Christ to rest in their graves till the resurrection. Any kind of questions or comments about that kind of distilled um, there's like six pages of footnotes that go with that, so I can email you the footnotes if you want. But uh, they would take three more pages of Bible uh, passages there. <clears throat> so there's no waiting. Immediately to be in His presence is awesome. And then we're waiting for uh, all things to be made permanently awesome uh, when He makes all things new. <clears throat> Any questions about that? Or, yes. Tim has to talk about the Jewish view of the end of everything. All right, let's read uh, some of these uh, psalms uh, here. Uh, That's it. Yeah, uh, can you read Psalm 17? Down at the bottom there. Uh, as for me, I shall be, behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Okay, <clears throat> yeah, let's see. Kim, can you read Psalm 73? You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Is that Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So we want to wrestle with... Um, what did the Old Testament believers, what was their their hope? And I think that we should really take that seriously. A lot of times we say, well, those guys didn't know nothing because Jesus hadn't come yet, and all they had was 
like Leviticus and Psalms. You know, it's like, how could they really have the real clear picture? But I think it, they had a deeply rooted sense of both the goodness of creation, the joy of God's presence. And I think those two things go a long way to kind of building our view of what uh, God wants to do uh, with us. So really their view of, uh, I'll give you the fancy $2 word here, personal eschatology, meaning what happens to my person at the end of everything, either the end of my life or the end of, of history. <clears throat> so we have this kind of three-part map of the world. Land of the living. This is an awesome place. Psalms and Proverbs says, He gives wine to gladden the hearts of men. Proverbs says, Delight always in the wife of your youth and her awesome body. You know, And then there's a whole book about sex. And then there's whole books about uh, economics. And there's whole books about worship. And it, basically just being deeply rooted in this life, deeply rooted in God. This is so awesome. And because God made it. And what God said over creation is good. <clears throat> and the only time that he said it wasn't good was the loneliness of man. And so he built uh, a special made awesome partner for him, the woman. So male and female together experiencing this good creation uh, in the context of covenant community, covenant marriage, covenant life, where there's just if you look at the Hebrew calendar, we're going to look at this in a few weeks. They were like partying like every three weeks. There was a new moon festival. There was like quarterly harvest festivals. There was Passover. It was like there was wine and grain and food flowing all the time. There were feast days. There were days to fast, but there was a lot of eating and there was a lot of hard work and just a lot of good food happening as they trusted God and he blessed them. Except, as we saw over the last two weeks, when they rebelled against God, they had drought and they had disaster and, and famine. So enjoying God in the land of the living is, is a good thing and not to be shirked or not to be gotten away from. The second stage of human existence is Sheol or the grave. And so there isn't much differentiation in the Old Testament between the bad place where bad people go and the good place where righteous people go. There's just people die and they go away. If you're not in the land of the living, you're in the land of the not living or formerly living, and that's just called the grave. Because even the psalmist says, Lord, save me. No one sings your praises in the grave. There's no music there because people are dead. You know, And so he says... Keep me in the land of the living because I want to praise you. You get glory when I'm alive and when I'm, I'm with you. But then we have these two verses that seem to have this hope of there's something beyond. I mean, this is awesome. You're with me. You hold my hand. You're, you're ever present. You give me good gifts. You give me a wife or, or a husband or you give me a great job. You give me some beautiful experiences. And then we die, but there's something else that I look forward to. There's this future hope. And what, what are the terms that they use about this future hope? Let's kind of tease this out. What are kind of the two 
uh, analogies for what happens after death. Look at that Psalm 17. What's the word picture there? Yeah. Remember when Jesus is raising people from the dead? What does he tell them? He's like, don't cry, she's asleep. And then, so literally when, like to the little girl, he says, Talitha Kumi, girl, arise. Kind of like, and Michael's preached on this. Like when you want to wake up your kids, you want to go like banging pots and pans. You want to be really gentle, really sweet. Wake up, honey, it's time for pancakes. You know, it's like, it's time to go to McDonald's. You know, it's like just really joyful, really tender. And so once this, this is this picture of to awake. <clears throat> awake to what? They were Jewish, so they didn't awake to the smell of bacon, but, you know, because that would be heaven. But uh, <laughs> awake to what? His face. I wake up and like, oh hi. I awake to his his face. See how personal this is. <clears throat> this isn't. I awake to ten thousand virgins. I awake to everlasting sushi buffet. I awake. What do I awake to? I wake to his face. You would say, well, that's poetry. He just means he's going to wake up in heaven and it's going to be awesome. But think about these depictions. Sure, they're poetic, but poems also tell the truth. But using imagery and using really sensory and really joyful uh, images, I will awake to his, his faith. And this is really pointing us to what is the goal of heaven. It's actually been the goal of God's creation in the beginning. And it says, and in the cool of the day, they what with God? Adam and Eve. It says they walked. There was relationship. There was face to face. And obviously there's a whole theology of what were they walking with? What did they see? What, what Was that Jesus? I think it was. But, you know, what was going on there is they were seeing his face. They weren't blown up or consumed because they were sinless. And that's kind of the great joy, the great hope is, I can't wait to be me without all the sin and see God the way he really is, and I won't be burned up. I won't be destroyed. I won't dissolve. I'll actually be flourishing. I will be fully awake, fully alive for the first time in my life. You know, And that's really this earthy, but also we could say heavenly hope that uh, the Old Testament believers had and that we also have uh, through Jesus. And the word that Psalm 73 uses is this word glory. And this is uh, kind of really pictured in that the book that Michael referred to, uh, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. How many of you guys have read that, read that book? One of the coolest pictures is when these people get their, daily, their one-day bus pass to heaven. And they haven't been changed. Literally, the grass of heaven hurts their feet because it's like needles. It's like shards of glass. I'm not going to get into all the metaphysics of it or if C.S. Lewis was right, but the grass hurt them because it was so real. It's more real than this place. Not in the sense that this is kind of a shadowy place. This is a fake holographic world that God, or kind of like the Matrix the world that's been pulled over our eyes. 
But because everything is new there and the permanent shape of what God wants it to be, it hurts us because we're not the permanent shape that God wants. And so it's a jarring experience. And that really points that we need to be transformed in order to enjoy heaven. So that's kind of like we were playing with this idea over the last few weeks. That unless you are claimed by God and your heart is changed by Him and ravished by Him, heaven would be hell for you to be in His presence. You wouldn't want to be awake with Him in your face. Because to have sinful rebels in God's face, that's called hell. So in one sense, it's to be away from the Lord, but it's, in a sense, you can never get away from the Lord, and that's why it's hell. Because His nature grates against your nature for all of eternity. So in one sense, the great glorious hope is to have a new self in a new world in God's presence. And, and the one word that captures that is, that'll be Glory. And next week we're going to just tease out all the word pictures of Revelation about what does glory look like, streets of gold, all of that, and just really soak in that. So that becomes our great hope. Not just, Jesus, get me out of here, but Jesus, get us to that, to that day. Any uh, questions? we got about one minute. <clears throat> I'd like to leave you with glory, you know, but we can just leave it hanging there for next week. Any questions or comments? Cool, we'll chew on glory for a week and uh, come back and we'll see the glory uh, together unless we go to glory. So uh, it'll be good either way. So uh, yeah, God bless. Let me just pray. Father in heaven, help us to hunger and thirst after righteousness and then fill us up. But we know that we'll be hungry until that day when we are fully satisfied and fully glorified in your presence. We groan and long for that day, not just because we want to get out of here, but we want you to get into every detail of our lives and transform it. And that'll be perfectly true and perfectly complete on that great day when Christ returns. We look forward to it, and then now we're empowered with your grace right now by the Holy Spirit to live in this place uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.